Are you ready to realize the true potential in your life and help others do the same? Get equipped to create a thriving future with the Secrets of Success podcast. Inspire others to live, lead, and work on purpose. And experience the joy of watching satisfaction and productivity come to life. And now, here's your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. You know, each week we want to be able to give you an encouraging word, something that inspires you, but maybe challenges you, maybe gets you to think about something a little bit different. And this week is no different. I have a special, special guest who is a friend of mine, and we've been out of touch for a little bit, but we were finally able to locate her, you know, hiding in Arizona. And just welcome to the show, and I welcome to the show, Jen Kay. Great to have you with us. Oh, Ken, I'm so delighted to be here. Thank you. It's great <laughs> to reconnect with you. Well, it's always uh, good to reconnect with friends, you know, and it's interesting as we travel through life, there's all kinds of research about how important friendships are and that friendships really extend our life. So I thank you for being connected to us and CRG and myself for way over a decade, we were just chatting off air before we got on about you, you know, hanging out at our house, uh, uh, goofing around with my son who was 10, year old, 10 years old at that time, and now he's getting married this year. So who knew that life would go so quickly? It flies by, and I just, I still can't get over that he's getting married. That's so exciting. <laughs> so, so now the world knows. Yeah. Uh, that's not a secret. So... Uh, Jen, one of the things we like to do is just have our guests introduce themselves. I mean, you're an expert on really helping individuals to realize their potential. To really, you use the word authenticity, but before we get into sort of some interview questions and and diving deep, just share with the audience a little bit about your journey. Who's Jen Kay? How did you come into this space, and what is it you do in this space? So just fire away. <laughs> well. Ken, thank you for asking. It's, it's a really funny story when you stop to think about it. I was actually born to two parents who speak two totally different languages. My, my mother was one of 10 kids from New York, and my father was one of two from the Midwest, from Wisconsin. And so mom's side of the family communicated with loud voices, big hand gestures, talking over each other, interrupting each other. The, the more controversial the topic, politics, money, religion, anything, that they, they just thrived on that. And my father, who spoke very slowly and waited for people to finish, would be in conversations with my mom, who would get very passionate, and as she would be passionately expressing her feelings about something, he would say, whoa, whoa, Diana, you, you don't have to go get so upset, she'd say. What are you talking about? I'm not upset. I'm just communicating. So I, I didn't realize how much that actually impacted me until later in life when I, I went to school. So I majored in Japanese. I minored in Russian. I speak some Spanish, some French. And Japanese? Hang on. Where'd that come from? What's that about? Good boy. Uh, my, my aunt, my obasam, Watashi no obasam, she had studied in China and was living in Japan. And it always appealed to me. And in full transparency, I studied French for five years, Spanish for two. And when I got to the University of Arizona, 
which is a story in and of itself as to how I got there, the French and Spanish classes were filled. So I thought, well, what better time than the present to learn Japanese? And so I wasn't sure if I wanted to learn Japanese or Russian, so I took them both one semester, loved both of my instructors, and ended up going down that path. Wow. So learning languages, that's not an easy thing to do. <laughs> so, well, so, so, how did you get, so how did you get into this whole professional development, coaching, helping others process? Where, where is the transition in that, Jen? Well, what I realized, so, so there's a couple things. The, the other part of my story is, is this mind-body connection. I, I learned that communication and language aren't the same, same thing. So when you learn a language, uh, we start to recognize that our external language is reflective of our internal dialogue, but we don't think about it when we're all speaking English. And so it was through my experiences in language and living abroad and working abroad that I began to see some of those connections. What I hadn't made the connection with truthfully, Ken, until uh, probably a decade ago was when I was 18, I was actually diagnosed with an illness. I don't know if we've ever discussed that. I, w I was diagnosed with a disease that would have set the trajectory of my life on the path of dialysis, transplants, and a life on prednisone. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that just didn't sound great to me. I, to be perfectly honest, my, my doctor told me what my life would be like in my 20s and 30s and 40s and so on. And uh, I was lucky enough, as I began to study what this diagnosis is about, and from our Western medical model, that led me down the path of dialysis and transplant, et cetera. But I had some mentors who introduced me to this more holistic type of awareness that showed me the connection between our thoughts, uh, you know, our mindset, our feelings, and, and the words that actually come out of our mouth. And so I began to understand that there's an inherent connection between what we think, what we feel, and what we say. And at that point in my life, the language I spoke most frequently was the language of anger. And once I learned that my, that emotionally my disease is connected to emotions of blame, shame, guilt, and resentment, I found a mentor who helped me actually do some really deep work and get deeply honest about that and began to see how incredibly connected and powerful it is when we make a different choice. And so in my work, I began, actually it was during my head-on collision uh, quite some time after that when the doctor proceeded to tell me again what my life would be like. I said, thanks for sharing what you needed to. Here's the deal. That's not an option. And it was at that point, the way that we look at the world and the words that come out of our mouth, I would, you will never hear me say I was in a car accident because I believe that everything happens for a reason, whether or not we know what it is at the time. And so from that, I created a program, Life Head On, Six Steps to Getting Over Yourself and On With Your Life, which addresses all of those moments that, that we feel like the rug's been pulled out from underneath us, and how to kind of come back to your own center and step into your own power. And it was probably at that point, Ken, an answer to your question, that people started approaching me and saying, hey, this is what I'm dealing with. Um, can, I, I'd like to coach with you. Can you come speak to our company? Uh, we could use some programs around uh, in these areas. So that was really the turning point, the segue that began to move me into this direction. Well, that's awesome. And I just want to back up, Jen. 
And, you know, this is important for the listeners to hear, and I, I repeat what our guests say so many times, is that our emotional condition manifests itself physically. You know, the linkage between the two is is uh, never been more confirmed through science. And now myself as a health coach as well, uh, Jen, is that uh, a lot of times people really are not taking responsibility for how this emotional state. But one of the things affects us, but one of the things you said is that we need to be accountable for what we say. And, you know, so many people have written about it and talked about it. But if I'm saying something of, oh, man, I'm overweight, well, how are you going to lose weight if that's what you're talking about? And I think people are just not even uh, conscious about it. But I want to back up one part here, Jen. You said that the doctor said that you would be in this condition in your 20s and 30s. Can you uh, share with us, I mean, how did you overcome that? What, so this, this is proof that taking responsibility and taking ownership of your thoughts can, you, you mentioned holistic. So what is it you did, and are you willing to say what you overcame? Sure. So the first thing I had to be willing to do was to take ownership. That, that was really the first thing of what that was in my feelings. And what that was was that my mother was my first real mentor and teacher. She was just powerful in teaching me critical thinking skills, in supporting my creativity, in acknowledging me for who I truly was as an individual, not trying to craft me into being someone else that she, that she wanted me to be. She was just an amazing, amazing woman. And she was seeking in her life. And due to what she was seeking, she became very disengaged. And I recognized that the environment I was in was really no longer healthy for me. And so I found, uh, I found again, a, a mentor, someone who could help me understand what it was I was feeling, why I was feeling it, what it was about, what I could take responsibility for, what was in my control, what was out of my control, until it got to a point. I love that I'm sharing this with you, Ken, because I've shared this in, in front of teenagers. I don't think I've ever shared it with adults and certainly not during an interview. I moved, out of, I moved out of my house when I was 15. And it was a strategic decision. It was a well-educated decision. It wasn't your typical teenager reactive uh, experience. It was very thoughtful. And it was because I could at least take accountability for my role and because of that, I was pretty angry. The, the one person in my life who was my best friend, who was my mentor, was no longer available. And, and there's lots of stories about what, what happened during that time period between the time when I left when I was 15 and, and the diagnosis at 18. It, it, was, it was a little like PTSD. It was sort of one thing after another after another where frankly, what it was is that, well, if I'm not important enough to the one person in the world that I should be important to, what value do I bring to the world? What value do I even have? 
And and so that was that was what happened. And so what did you and I'm pushing you harder here, Jen, because I know we're <laughs> friends. So then you were changing your mind, and that's not always easy for people to do. They, they because they've been in this habitual way of doing something different. And you had a mentor. So what specifically did the mentor have you do, so you could shift, shift, and go out, do a 180 on your thoughts, so that you could release sort of this tension. I mean, there's all kinds of research about negative thinking just polluting our bodies. We know that. So what did you do to shift it? What were the I, steps? Sure. I wish I could tell you specifically what I did at that time. What It was so intense and it was so deep. If you've ever done an experience like that where I remember there were a ton of tears. There was a ton of resistance to the change. I mean, I'm, I'm still human and you can only imagine at 18 while I was probably I don't know what the word is, more, more aware than most 18-year-olds. Uh, you know, we, we tend to want to hold on to our stories, right? We think this, and that's what I had done. I, I wanted so badly to hold on to the story of what she had done to me, of why I wasn't worthy of, of my own brilliance or worthy of being loved, that, that I didn't want to change. It felt like if I held on to my anger, it would protect me and keep me safe. To some I, degree, are you saying, and this is, I'm just, I'm, uh, sure. these are such great gems, Jen, is that a lot of times we can get our identity from our story. That is who we are. That's yeah, what we I think, mean. anyways. We, that's what we think. Okay. That's what Continue. we think. Sorry. No, that's all right. So I don't remember the specific steps, as I said. What I do remember is there was a pivotal moment when she gave me this opportunity. It was, are you going to hold on to this story and to the anger? Is this where you want to live your life from? Or do you want to step into a place? Do you want to rewrite your own story? And it was a choice point. And while I don't remember the step, I remember the choice point. And when I made the decision, when I decided that I wanted to write a new story, I had to give myself permission to release the anger, the resentment, the feelings of guilt. And, and in a way, frankly, if, if, if I think back, there was also a moment, I can't believe you're actually making me think about this, and I love you for it, of... <laughs> You, you know this is going to happen. I want to smack you upside the head, and I love you for it all at the same time. So, so there was a moment, though, where, where I also had to think. It sounds so counterintuitive for most people if, if you haven't had this experience, to thank the anger, to thank the resentment, right, because it had protected me. It had gotten me – it had kept me safe up to that point, and it was no longer – serving me. So I guess step number one, if I, if, if I think about it, sort of reverse engineer what happened, it was acknowledge the emotion. The second was ask how that emotion or that story was serving me. Right? And then third, ask, is that true or am I making that up? And then 
the fourth step would really be, I, I guess we disassociate it a little bit as if, as if the feeling or the emotion of the story is outside of yourself versus taking up all that space in your head and in your body and in your nervous system. And, and step by step, disassociating it, thanking it, and releasing it. Absolutely. And it's interesting, your question, you know, how is it serving you? It's, you know, as a coach and as coaches, it's one of the questions that I ask in the process with my clients is, how is this serving you? And they said, what, what, how, I don't know if it is. And in some way, even if it is uh, dysfunctional, it is still serving that person in some way. So that is a very, very interesting question. Can we use that now as a transition point? Because obviously, in some way, I'm making an assumption here, Jen, this really has been a legacy sort of event that you can now bring in and share with other people to go into your newest work or your latest work, which really is this idea about the courage to be yourself. And I love the work uh, or the word that you have embedded in sort of the bullet points of this new work of yours around being your authentic self. There's been a fair amount written about it, but I'm very keen and interested to hear from you. What does that mean to be authentic? And are people deceived or, or whatever? Just, just take off from there and say, what, you know, what does authenticity mean? And, and what's maybe hindering people? So just start with that. I love the question, and I'm going to turn it back on you, Ken. When you think of the word authenticity, what are the first things that come to your mind? Uh, just real, just real, honesty, uh, integrity. Uh, authentic is, um, I guess there's a reverse engineer on that, is not being plastic, not being performance-driven, uh, not pretending, just being real, just, just being connected to your real self, not one that's your mother's trying to tell you to do or your spouse or society or anything like that. Did I answer it right for you? <laughs> the, the great thing about this, Ken, there's no wrong answer. Of course you answered it right. Authenticity means different things to different people. We associate different words. So here's my next question, though. How do you know when someone is being real, honest, not being plastic, when they're not pretending, and when they're in integrity. How do you know? I don't know. How do you know? I'm going to turn it back on the person. You're the expert I'm interviewing. It's a, it's a good question, isn't it? it mm. we, see, we say that we want it. We actually, in today's world, we're actually craving what we're calling authenticity, and we might have different ways of expressing it. How we know when that's happening makes no sense because it's, it's not a data set, it's not a number, it's a feeling. You can be sitting right next to someone and have them telling you whatever their story is and you know when they're not being authentic. You can listen to the greatest expert in the world and, and know that subtle moment when they go from being authentic to trying to sell you. There's a subtle shift in their tone. There's something that happens in their body language. You might not even be able to specifically nail exactly what's happening because it's a sensation. It's a feeling. And I believe everybody, every single person 
has the ability to recognize that if and when they're actually listening to themselves, which we're not taught how to do. So most of us actually aren't taught how to be authentic. You just made a great point of how do you be your authentic self, not the person your mom or your dad or society has has told you to be. It's like, well, you're a CEO, you're supposed to act like this. And as a manager, you know, this is the role I'm playing, or as a father, as a mother, we, we tend to act based on the role that we're supposed to be instead of who we really are. So let me give you an example. I actually had something, I was thinking about this. I had something happen relatively recently where I came face to face with my own misalignment of authenticity. So when I'm face to face with people, when I'm coaching or I'm speaking in front of an audience, even us here on this call, I'd like to think I'm pretty authentic and even transparent. You know, I talk about real things. I'm I'm willing to to go there, whether or not I'm comfortable with it. Well, I've been working on developing a new website and new marketing materials and redefining my voice online, and I just couldn't figure out. There was something missing, And, and I just kept looking at it, and it was so awkward, and it was when a friend of mine who writes copy and what, I mean, she's very conscious and authentic, and she said, you actually write great copy, so I'd rather consult with you. And we were talking. I said, there's something missing, and I can't quite place it. And she coached me, and she said, what do you think's missing? And, of course, I wanted to hit my head against a wall because I'm like, I just want you to tell me. Exactly. And, and so what I realized was that my online presence, my website, my marketing materials, my social media, all, all had the voice of designing me to be more credible in my role of a speaker, coach, consultant, in, instead of my authentic self, which frankly is a little more candid, to the point, it's very simple language, there's not a lot of corporate speak, and so that was, I was out of alignment with my own realness, not in person, but in the way I was presenting myself to the world. And I'm still in the process of, of turning that piece around. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I mean, interesting, because we're going through that in redoing my site, and I have other people writing this stuff, and sometimes they say, you know what, that's not our voice. I, I would never say that. And so the word that I have on my paper here while you were chatting is congruence. Mm. Is that there is, you use the word alignment, but is, you know, is what I'm seeing and doing congruent with my uh, values, what's important to me, which is one of the things that, I mean, you've used the personal style indicator and the values preference indicator to help people to get clear, and you use the word self-awareness, which is, you know, one of the chapters in a couple of our books, too because it's so important. But a lot of times you said, you know, people aren't, they haven't been taught how to listen, right? (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. you know, we talk about self-discovery and self-awareness. They they really haven't done the work, right? But you, you were saying something off air, which was a little colored around, (laughs) you know, (laughs) forcing people to get aligned with their values and in their personal style. And what does that mean? So, I want to go back to a question that you gave me, 
which was is that people are having the wrong conversation to begin this authenticity or this courage to be themselves. What is that wrong conversation? Oh, there's so many wrong conversations. The wrong conversation around authenticity, frankly, is that authenticity has become this, this buzzword. And what I mean is that we're in the wrong part of the conversation is what we're talking about is authenticity. What we're not talking about is the risk we must be willing to take to be authentic. No one is talking about the risk that's associated with authenticity. And what is that risk? What are those risks? Well, it depends on the person. So it could be the risk of being wrong. It could mean, are you willing to risk uh, others not liking your ideas? Are you willing to risk conflict to be authentic? Are you willing to risk letting go of your pride, maybe, or your ego to be authentic? Are, are you willing to risk disrupting peace in, in the family? Are, are you willing, one of my things that we do so frequently is we create, oh, we're masters at distractions. We create distractions and putting out fires and all of this chaos and drama. Are you willing to risk stopping those distractions to stand quietly inside of your own being and ask yourself, what do I really want? Or maybe it's, are you willing to, are, right? Are you, are you willing to risk standing inside of what you believe in so strongly that it might even mean a change in friendship, a change in family, community, culture, your organization, your leadership, well, you, so, you are a master of all these different languages, so think about some of the cultural implications. I mean, our tools are now in China, and they're being used there, or Japan. So you have um, really a culture where saving face is more important than just about anything else in some of these different cultures that are out there. So you have some of these cultural pressures that say, well, okay, this is, this is how you will act. Um, and so there are some risks that come into play there too, isn't there? That's correct. I remember when I was living in Japan, I was having lunch with, with one of my friends, and she was explaining to me that she had this problem. And I said, oh, what's the problem? And, and she kept addressing the problem and how her family was so upset, and she was a little ostracized because of it. I, I said, well, what's that? And she basically said she was in therapy to figure out who she was. And I said, let me get this. I mean, it was hugely being ostracized. And, of course, you know, here in the States, you're like, oh, you just go to therapy for that. That's perfectly normal. As a matter of fact, that's a healthy human being if you're willing to explore yourself and, and look at yourself. And so I do understand that. And the question that each person, there's no right or wrong answer. And, and that's the best thing about it is authenticity is unique to each individual. So by not asking the question, though, we end up reacting to an external social construct rather than asking ourselves, well, what am I willing to risk? We might say, I'm not willing to risk anything. So then the question becomes, well, are you willing to accept the situation, the circumstance of the event just as it is? 
You know, are you, are you at least then willing to risk letting go of your story that you're a victim? So it always goes back to choice. And, and I really like the, and a, and a congruence. Whatever that congruence is for each person is their own. I mean, I think about, you know, we're in the sandwich generation, or at least I am, and just, you know, there's some things that uh, we could say to certain family members at certain time, which is the truth. But you know what? It just doesn't need to be said. It just doesn't. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and I'm okay by that. So, because really peace at this time and certain individuals, when, when you have elderly relatives, if, why bother? It really is not that important. Um, maintaining relationship is most important. Now, that's my definition at that time. So that's an example of how you are defining that, is that we make these choices, is that really relationship is more important or more congruent to me than saying, okay, I'm going to honestly say what they just did was not very good, but it doesn't matter. You know what? When somebody is nearly 90, it doesn't matter. And for you, that's true. For somebody else, you know, it, it might matter. And it is, it's that congruence that's important that we get to choose what's important to us in our lives. And I, Certainly, I agree with you. There are times when we ask ourselves, it, it, how important is it on a scale of 1 to 10? You know, does it need to be said? And, you know, always thinking about the other person versus just about ourselves, how, how might that come across? Because that authenticity, so going back to what we were talking about earlier, I have, <laughs> my number one value is honesty. So for me, I have a drive. It's this underlying element of I would rather have hard conversations. I would rather someone ask me the hard questions. I would, for me, it's not a conflict ever. It's just a conversation. And yet my father, who's 78 years old, bless his heart, is, is a kind, gentle, um, cognitive, interpersonal, and my behavioral effective person can just roll right over him. Uh, sometimes that was one of the greatest gifts that uh, that the that the personal style indicator ever gave me was this understanding of my father and recognizing well wait a minute am I am I being how do I be my authentic self in a way that doesn't take him out at the knees so that I can speak his language and still be honest in a way that perhaps is more loving and kind and there are times then. It, some things don't need to be said. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's interesting as we learn to adjust to be able to connect with other individuals. You know, as we get closer to the end of the show, Jen, what, what I'd like you to do is what are two or three key strategies or thoughts would you like to leave for the listeners that they can embrace or consider going forward beyond what we've talked about already? Sure. I think one of them would be asking yourself, where would I like to be more authentic in my life? Where, because we all have that. We know that there's some place inside of us. Maybe it's our personal relationship. Maybe it's at, at work. Maybe it's with our team. Where would I like to be more authentic? And then ask yourself, right, what's, what's holding me back? Right? What's, 
what's preventing me from being that? And just having some, some real gentle awareness around it. And then the simple question of what am I willing to risk to be more authentic? And the way that I'd look at that is if, let's say on a scale of one to 10, we think of something that the risk would be a 10 and it kind of freaks us out a little bit. Then the next question would be, well, what would you be willing to risk that would take that fear down to an eight instead of a 10? And then maybe if that eight's still a little much, say, okay, well, what would I be willing to risk that would make it feel more like a, a five or a six? Because change is going to continue to happen. And when we're aligned or congruent with our values, those things that are most important to us, it, it then becomes congruent with our own sense of authenticity. And we don't have to freak ourselves out in the process. And then how would you communicate that? What's one action that would be expressive of your being willing to take that risk to be more authentic? That's, those are a couple of things that I can think of. You mentioned, thanks, Jen. You mentioned uh, three sort of uh, thought processes that you went through in the beginning. I take notes while we have a conversation, so I'm coming back at you. <laughs> in that, and those are very, very prevalent in our in our society, and that's blame, shame, and guilt. Mm. What what ideas might you have as far as us to overcome those, or you know, set them aside? So. When we look at blame, shame, and uh, let me, blame and shame are generally externally focused. And people are always doing the best they can with, with where they're at, with what they know to this point. And one of the things that I often share in, in my programs is that people don't wake up in the morning wondering how to piss you off today. And I am sure about that. And so when it comes to language, everyone is trying to get their own needs met in the language that makes the most sense to them. So I'll take actually sort of a, a business case. We tend to put sales and marketing in the same conversation, except that sales has its own language and marketing has its own language. Not to mention if you start bringing IT into the picture. Right? IT has a very different language than either sales or marketing, except there's an expectation that, well, if we have a way of viewing the world or seeing things, that everybody else should see it the same way. I mean, what's wrong with them? And so that's where the blame piece comes in. Uh, and, and even some of the shame and guilt, I guess, are more internal, not external. But that's where the blame comes in. And so when we can recognize that we connect through points of similarity, not through our differences, and take responsibility and accountability for our own role, and ask what or how am I part of the problem, and how can I be part of the solution? It's not, it's, our lives are never about other people. The moment we start blaming other people, we have just given up our personal power, and by abdicating our personal power, and abdicating our voice, we abdicate our choice, and we become a victim. So the question is, how it, we go back to our earlier conversation, well, how's that serving you? Right? Is that being a victim is a choice, mm-hmm. and being victim has implications of that choice, is what you're saying. Correct. Okay. 
For every choice, there's a consequence. If you choose to blame, you choose to be a victim, it is going to short-circuit your nervous system, your health, your well-being, your language, and everything else in between. When it comes to shame and guilt, the best, the very best, and frankly, one of the hardest things we can ever do is to forgive ourselves, to give ourselves permission to be exactly who we are, our perfectly imperfect selves, and forgive ourselves for not only the transgressions that we might have made knowingly or unknowingly on others, but even more importantly for the transgressions that we made against ourselves. For all of the times that we didn't listen to ourselves, that we didn't trust ourselves, that we saw that red flag, walked right past it, and ended up in a whole colorful word storm of experience, shame and guilt, the best thing we can ever do is to simply find the forgiveness for ourselves. Thank you, Jen, on that. Now, Jen, before we kind of wrap up the last few statements here, how can people, if they want to learn about your work and more about you, how might they get a hold of you? The very best way at the moment in full transparency is LinkedIn. You can certainly come to my website at jenk.com. Again, in full transparency, I am redoing that site. I'm going to be launching some new online programs this year, um, and, and those are the two best ways to, to find more about and then, me. And could you spell your website for people and your name so that they know how to find it correctly? Absolutely. It's Jen, J-E-N-N-K-A-Y-E.com. Awesome. And you also have a Twitter account so they can find you there. And LinkedIn, I love LinkedIn, so you'll be able to you know, chase people around in that. If you were to have a final word for people today, Jen, as far as you know, the courage to be yourself and the courage to sort of live the life that you want, what would you say to me? I would say that life is short. You deserve no less than to experience the full brilliance of who you are in the world without judgment and without apology. Have the courage to be your authentic self and be a fierce advocate for your own authentic expression in the world. Wow. You know, and we didn't even prep that in advance. That just rocked it, girl. <laughs> Thanks for putting me on the spot. That's, I feel pretty strongly about that, I guess. Well, you're going to have to replay that once this recording and podcast is out so that you can uh, frame that and trademark that statement because it, uh, it just took it right out of the park. I mean, the encouragement I have, and so Jen, just thanks for being on the show with us. My uh, my encouragement to everybody that's listening is is what Jen is saying, what what I am saying, is that you matter. Your life matters, and you know we have a choice to have a great impact out here, and that you can make a positive difference. You can have a legacy. You do have a purpose, and so just take all the things that Jen had shared with us today, uh, and with you, so to go to the next level, to help yourself, to help others as uh, Jenna shared in her story, is that she was mentored by somebody who cared, who uh, felt that she mattered, and it made a difference. And she's here today to be able to help and work with others because somebody else cared. So maybe that's your role, to help somebody else as well. 
you know, each time that we do one of these shows, these shows really don't matter unless somebody's listening to them. So I thank you for listening. I thank you for taking the most precious thing that you have, and that is your time to spend it with us. Hopefully we leave you a couple of tidbits, ideas, so that you can take your life to the next level or help somebody else take their life to the next level. I just encourage if you like what we're doing, please share it, pass it on, let other people know about it so we can build our community and build our impact. If you want to learn more about us, it's KenKeys.com or CRGLeader.com. Thank you very much for listening to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keys. Thanks for exploring the secrets of success with us. If you want to keep the momentum going, log on to crgleader.com. Scroll to the bottom and sign up for our inspirational emails. You can also take your success to the next level by following us on Facebook and Twitter and connecting with Ken on LinkedIn. We hope you have a great week and look forward to you joining us next time for the Secrets of Success podcast with Dr. Ken Keys.